uh, and tells him that he should have at least invested it in a bank, what he's saying is, you should have at least sinned with it. If you'd sinned with it, I would have at least got my money back. We don't think of banks as sinful. That's probably a problem, but a different one. But, but, but for them, this would be uh, tantamount to human trafficking or something. Usury, that is collecting interest on a loan, was like the worst thing that you could do financially. And so when the king comes back, this king who's gone away to go steal the kingship in another land, when this king comes back and says to the servant who hasn't managed to get him anything, why didn't you at least sin with my money? We're meant to see the degree of frustration Jesus has with those who have not used what they have been given. The other sort of dynamic behind this, because the way the lectionaries cut this up is we're missing the verse before. He's still in Jericho, Sin City. He's preaching in Reno. The other Reno, not Reno, Iowa. I'm sure they're very nice in Cass County. But he's, he's, he's still in Jericho, and so he's preaching this sort of degree of frustration to these people, more of whom ultimately repent and convert, than to those whom he's going to see as he heads up country to Jerusalem. One of the things I think very difficult for us moderns to wrap our heads around is the degree of anger um, that we see sort of present in the, the craziness of Antiochus Epiphanes in, in the book of the Maccabees, that like the, the degree of religious frustration when somebody just disagrees with you. For most of us, thinking eating meat on Friday is laughable as a sin. We have a hard time taking that seriously anymore, let alone dying instead of eating bacon. And let's be honest, we're from Iowa. We just assume eat the bacon. But of course, it's not about the bacon. It was never about the pork. But it is sort of bizarre. Some scholars have even called this the, the criterion of exemplary evil. So that, so that when a, a person's rejection of, of, of someone holding the faith, even some seemingly facile, harmless feature of the faith, when that rejection is so hate-fueled and so intense, it must be sort of diabolical. It's got to be the other one egging this on. On some level, you know, people running around the first two or three centuries in ancient Rome insisting that a Jewish carpenter nobody had ever heard from had risen from the dead shouldn't have mattered. It certainly, it certainly shouldn't have been a threat to Caesar. Bill Gates doesn't care what I think about anything. Jeff Bezos would not mind if I suddenly decided I was a purple elephant. They're, not, they're certainly not going to pay hitmen to kill me or the people who come to agree with me about the purple elephants. But that is precisely the history of the early church, that the most important people in the world found the possibility of a man coming back from the dead so offensive, not just risible or unbelievable, but so offensive and so dangerous that the only appropriate response was to murder absolutely everyone who said it. In our religious marketplace, that seems hard to believe. You pick your God, I'll pick my God, you pick no God, so long as we're not killing each other, we'll all be happy. And yet, weirdly, we always seem to wind up on the wrong end of the stick. 
Cecilia is perhaps one of the greatest examples of what happens when it's precisely this hatred that causes the conversion. She's married off against her wishes, and she tells her new husband, you can't touch me or the angel who accompanies me will kill you. He doesn't believe that she has an angel, and she says, if you want to see the angel, have yourself baptized. So he runs down the street. It's called the Appian Way. It's still there, but he runs down the street and has himself baptized by Pope Urban. And after he's baptized, he can see the angel, and he's real glad he made the decision that he did. Winds up converting a brother of his, but they have another relative who's in the government and finds out about this, and he cannot stand the possibility that his own kin have become Christians. This ultimately is what leads to their deaths. And Cecilia, after having had her head nearly lopped off, lies there for three days, still singing. Fast forward 1,400 years, give or take, and the church, which was built over Cecilia's house, had to be redone because Italy's not super stable and the ground was shifting. And they opened her tomb. This is 1599, and that's a little bit ago, but in church history, it's not that far back. And it's well after 200 or so when this gal died. She looked like she was sleeping. She still looked like she was sleeping. Now, I'll admit, I get pretty incredulous or resistant to the stories of the incorruptibles. I've seen a fair number of them, and they mostly look like Applehead dolls. But that is not what this was. And the way that we know was even though we didn't have photographs at the time, a sculptor came to make an image of what he saw. Google St. Cecilia. Hit the image search, and the first thing that pops up will be the statue, and the statue itself will take your breath away. And immediately, people wanted to destroy the relics because the possibility of someone seeming to live that long after death was dangerous. Do you think of your faith in the resurrection of Jesus as dangerous? Would you be willing to sacrifice everything for it? It's easy here with each other. Yeah, yeah, Father. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And probably moments, sure. Think about it hard. And if you're not there, okay, for now. But ask for the grace tonight as you approach the altar to get there. And if you are there, ask for more grace still. For like Cecilia, we do not know what hardship the Lord will call us to, only that we will be resisted, but that if we remain faithful with him, we will overcome the world.